It works. I push the button, I stop the watch, and I stop the world. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I'm Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, our big crossover event talking about Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, uh, with uh, a friend of the show, Steve, who is my co-host on Invasion of the Podcast. It was a fun talk, and I hope everybody had a safe uh, Halloween. And uh, I hope that you're you're back with us. It's been, you know, we talk about the Twilight Zone. I feel like the last, you know, this whole year, 2020 has been the Twilight Zone. But this last week has just been weird city with the election and everything. We're not going to get political here, but it has been a str- some strange days. And I hope you're still hanging in there. And I, and I hope you're here with us because, um, you know, we're going to be right back in the Twilight Zone. We're going to get back into the familiar world of the Twilight Zone as opposed to the unfamiliar world of reality right now. Yeah, it's definitely feeling like 2020. So <laughs> we got that. But yeah. yeah, Twilight Zone, exciting stuff. So I'm uh, ready to dive back in. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So this is a season five, episode four, a kind of a stopwatch. Uh, air date was uh, October 18th, 1963. Number one film, Johnny Cool. Uh, not a Johnny Midnight. Um, it, I had never heard of this before. Uh, it's described as a neo-noir crime film, which I would hope so with the name Johnny Cool. Starring uh, uh, Henry Silva, who would go on to be kind of more of a genre-like star. He was in one of the earlier Spaghetti Westerns called The Hills Run Red, which is a lot of fun. Uh, Escape from the Bronx, which is also an Italian um, like Warriors like knockoff. Um, and I, I like Henry Silva. Every time I see him, he's just a lot of fun. But this was his kind of like his first like big breakthrough role. Yeah, I don't know that one. Um, I wasn't familiar with that film. I neither was I, but I saw Henry Silva and I was like, do I get to mention Italian weird films? Yes, I do. So that's why I wanted to bring it up. So number one song, Sugar Shack by Jimmy Gilmer and the Fireballs. Um, I never knew the name of the band that sung the song, but everybody knows that that song. So that that's cool. Um, sure. That, that song, the Sugar Shack. I wonder what they mean by that. Anyway, so uh, so day and date uh, here. It wouldn't be an episode of uh, Strange Highways without me finding a weird story that probably involves uh, like like the space race or animals. So I found one that actually has both. Um, I want to mess up this name because it's a French name. Uh, uh, Felicitetti or Felicietti. Felicia. That's not the name of the cat, but we'll call her Felicia. Uh, became the first cat sent into outer space and a 15-minute suborbital light flight that reached an altitude of 156 kilometers or 97 miles. Um, so this was the first cat launched into space after uh, Russia and the USA had successfully launched dogs and monkeys. 
Uh, France sent this cat up in a rocket um, from its desert base in uh, Algeria. The capsule parachuted back into the desert and the cat was safely recovered. That was what I found on the Wikipedia. And they like I clicked on like the story about this cat and it kind of became like a national hero. And everybody called it Felix the cat because it's like a tuxedo cat. But they changed the name to a female form of it, which I keep messing up the name of. Uh, but, you know, so they so because this cat was the only cat to actually survive the space program in France of like the 15 they had. I like they didn't say anything else. In the Wikipedia article. So I'm like, OK, there has to be more of the story. Um, so <laughs> I looked it up and it turns out that the cat did safely make it back to Earth. Uh, it had these electrodes that were actually implanted into its skull so they could read brainway activity for like the test flights to get that data out of the cat. They, it died two weeks later when they were removing the electrodes from the cat's head. So it made it to space and came back just to be gone two weeks later. It's weird how that's not talked about. Um, but it turns out here in the beginning of 2020, the, the year that is, um, there is a, um, there's a memorial that's actually been built for the cat. It's, uh, where's it at? at uh, where's it at? It's in France and it's actually, it was actually, uh, un, um, unveiled in January of 2020 and it's a statue of a cat sitting on like the earth looking up to the heavens. So they're honor, honoring the first cat in space. That's a great story. It not living much longer after was a sad story, but that's what happened on this date. Francis launched a cat into space and it lived, you know, for the time being. Well, I hope the information was helpful and the cat didn't die in vain because that's pretty, uh, it's pretty tragic, man. Yeah. I mean, considering that there was 15 other cats in that program and this is the one that lived. Yeah. You would think, you know, I understand that science has cost and I know the space races, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of animals launched up there that didn't, that didn't make it back down. Um, but I mean, eventually what, like, you know, we put a man on the moon. So I guess that information was helpful, you know, um, but at least the cat's not forgotten. And uh, it has a statue. So there's your there's your day and date information. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear the the other story about the scientists who did all of that study. And there's like a cat that's sent back because it's going to kill him like Drogon. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, there's this French there's that base in Algeria where it's like there's this cat that keeps showing up, you know, and it's just <laughs> that that's the movie right there. That's what we need to see. That's the live action Felix the Cat movie that they need to make. That's not true. Uh, but yeah, that's that's your day and date. Uh, yep, that combines all the things here that we really love on the show: space, animals, and you know, uh, unfortunate deaths. Um, and actually, unfortunate deaths will tie into the discussion this episode uh, because there's. Uh, I'll talk about when we get there. But um, yeah, so that's your day and date. Okay. Cool. Um, so. We'll jump into cast. Um, so our director on this episode is uh, John Rich. Uh, one other episode of Twilight Zone, uh, a most useful camera. A most unusual camera. And a most he, unusual, and, I'm sorry. Yeah, and he now also directed a kind of stopwatch. Um, I feel like he got like kind of like um, typecast as a director. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, it's like, what's next? The uh, uh, very large op, uh, TV or something like what? <laughs> What was his next pitch? Yeah, like um, <laughs> like the the um, the awkwardly shaped washing machine or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, he did a bunch of episodes of Dick Van Dyke and a bunch of episodes of All in the Family. 
Um, that's all I knew of his work. Yeah. And so when I talked about like sudden death, uh, in the episode, a most unusual camera, at least three people fall out a window at separate times in that episode. So that was the only reason I was tying that together. Um, so John Rich, actually one of his sons directed episodes of the big bang theory. I just want I, I just had to mention that I, um, Terry, are you, are you, are you more forgiving of the big bang theory? Cause I, I think it's, uh, uh, I, I don't like it. Uh, uh, that's me being nice. You are really being nice tonight. I am very surprised. And, uh, you know, good for you, man. Um, <laughs> well, no, do you like it or not? Cause if you don't like it, then I'll tear it in too. It's fine. But if you like it, I'm respecting, you know, your like of it. Uh, here, here's the admission. I actually was watching it prior to coming up. Here God to damn it. <laughs> <laughs> We just got HBO Go, so we started it from the beginning. I'm sorry, Paul. Oh, son of a bitch. Okay. All right. Well, congrats. Good. I'll, I'll just I'll leave it alone. All right. We'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to talk about stuff that we could tear into that we both have the mutual uh, understanding that it is uh, garbage, uh, we could do that. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe it's a maybe it's a pitch for a new podcast. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know, but, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the big gang bang theory or whatever. No, uh, so yeah, um, yeah. So uh, what are, where are we at now? We've we talked about the director, uh, cameras, uh, windows, big bang theory. Yeah, and then um, our uh, writers on this episode. Um, the story was done by uh, Michael Rosenthal. Um, I didn't. I wasn't familiar with Mr. Rosenthal. Uh, I don't know if you had any notes for him. Yeah, this was a little weird because, um, Rosenthal was the one that pitched this. Uh, and so I'll jump to this book cause I'm going to use it a couple times tonight. The, the Martin Graham's junior twilight zone, unlocking the door to a television classic, amazing book. I know I've sang its praises previously. Um, so what was it? Um, Michael D Rosenthal actually was pitched this by another person named, um, Jerry McNeely. And then it was turned into a one page plot synopsis that, um, that Rosenthal, um, did. And then, uh, what was it? It was sent to him by a guy named, uh, Jerome Siegel. He's like, check this out. Like, this is just an idea. And I actually have the, I have the write up for it. That's not that important. Um, but actually I'm sorry. It says story idea by uh, Jerry McNeely based upon an idea by Michael D. Rosenthal. So this was just a one page pitch that these guys kind of like one of them had it. The other one got it to Serling and then Serling adapted it to the screen. So that's kind of where we're at with that. So neither one of these guys, I don't really have the information about. Okay. Yeah. So I, I couldn't find anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, the teleplay play was done by Rod Serling. So, um, I don't know how much more we need to go into, uh, Rod's career. Uh, I, he's, uh, the magic man when it came to the twilight zone and, you know, a lot of the things that he uh, produced were, Awesome. And we will hope to dive into more of the material that he brings uh, to television throughout the years of uh, the 1960s and 70s. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, into cast we go. So um, we have Richard Ehrman. Uh, he plays McNulty. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a lot of voice work for cartoons. And uh, he was in a, a butt ton of uh, episodes of Community. There you go. That's a comedy that's good that I love. Uh, yeah, he's Leonard. He was the oldest, uh, student at, uh, uh, Greendale community college. Uh, and I loved Leonard Leonard, like he was just a weirdo in the corners and they gave him enough like character things to do. And you could tell the guy was always game. Uh, he just passed away last year. Uh, you know, it's a bummer, but you know, whenever, whenever I went to go do my notes for this episode to watch the second time, I was like, holy shit, that's Leonard. Like, and then suddenly I was excited to kind of watch the up, want to watch the episode again, but I, I loved him a community. 
Uh, you're right about, um, uh, you know, a lot of his other work that he's done, but, um, he also, well, let's see here. Yeah. That's all I had. Cause I was just excited for Leonard from community. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a very extensive career, um, and, in, in, you know, television and mm-hmm. some working at, but I wasn't very familiar with any of the, the other stuff, but, uh, yeah. So we have him in this episode and then next we have Herbie Fay. Uh, he plays Joe, the bartender in this episode, um, 139 episodes of Phil, uh, Phil Sil- Silver show, uh, and some, uh, some work on a Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. So he actually played, um, uh, Charlie, the bartender in, um, the film version of Requiem for Heavyweight, which was, um, that's a, the Serling script that was written for Playhouse 90. I don't know. Like, I, I think it was actually turned into an actual film as well. Nice. Uh, yeah, I did. I did not notice that, uh, but that's cool. Um, and then next we have Leon, uh, Balasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Potts in this episode. Um, he was in the mummy's hand and Casablanca. Yeah. He was mainly a musician and he got into acting like, you know, like he would do it as well, but he was like, when I, and not by just musician as in like, he, he was like a classically trained musician. This guy like did, like he was known more known for that. And he happened to be, he could do acting as well. So, um, I, I didn't really get into a lot of his like history as a musician. Cause I, that's a lot there that I, I just, it, I don't have the, um, the acumen to understand a lot of it, but the guy was, was a really established, like, um, respected musician. Yeah. And he was given such a small amount of time in this episode. Uh, he was actually a pretty fun character for the minute there. I wish they would have uh, elaborated a little bit more on who he was and why, yeah. why he needed the stopwatch, but, uh, alas. Um, so moving on, we have, uh, Doris Singleton. Yeah. Singleton. Singleton? Yeah. There we go. I know how to sound words out. Um, she plays the secretary in this episode. Um, some, some work on the I love Lucy show. And she did one episode of the Munsters. Yeah. So she was like a friend of me of, uh, Lucy's character playing, uh, she played a character named, uh, Caroline Appleby. And I guess she showed up in like in the original Lucy. And then she also showed up in other, um, Lucille ball programs like, cause they, they hit it off. So I think that's fun. And also the tie back to all that is the Desi Lou playhouse, uh, which is the, the showcase, like the, the, the series that actually showed time element, which was the original twilight zone pilot. So, uh, you know, Lucille ball, like is her, her, um, presence and, um, production and eye for things is, you know, we, we would probably would not have the, um, the twilight zone if it wasn't for her. Yeah, that's awesome too. And I love, I, uh, the, I love Lucy show and, uh, we, we still end up watching it here and there. So, uh, that's cool. I'm glad that we have that little bit of connection here. Um, and my last, uh, my last character here, we got, uh, Roy Roberts. Uh, he plays Mr. Cooper. This is, uh, McNulty's boss in the episode. He was in house of wax. Um, and then we also had an episode of Hawaiian Ida that he was in. Oh, there you go. Nice. I didn't catch that, but, but, uh, so I have, um, Ken Drake as Daniel, uh, second of two Twilight Zone appearances. He was a hundred yards over the rim. Um, Rudy Germain as an office worker. So throw a dart. I don't know who that was, but he was in Hawaiian eye. So there you go. I'm glad that, um, you caught one. Then we have Robert McCord as man in bar doorway. Uh, Robert McCord, uh, 27th twilight zone appearance, uh, collect all 32. We're going to get to the rest of them, uh, this season. Nice. Uh, I did not notice that credit. So, uh, good for you, man. I, I, hey, it's yeah, Robert I McCord. I got it. I always got to point out the Robert McCord when I see him or, or I think I see him. Sometimes you don't, you don't know. 
that's that's true. That is very true. Um, but yeah, that's all the notes I had for the uh, the cast and crew. Um, okay. well, didn't sorry. know if you had anybody I, else I have either. Three more, just because of previous Twilight Zones, they played bit parts. I just figure you know they've been on before. Might as well mention it now. Uh, we have uh, Ray Porcho as a bar patron. He was an elegy. Another episode of which people had to stand still for. Uh, much better episode. <clears throat> sorry. A much different episode in which people stood, stood still in. Uh, Al Silvani as bar patron. He played Al slash the cut man in the first three Rocky films. I think he was, um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know which what guy he was in the bar, but um, that's cool that he would go on to be a character actor in three Rocky films. And then I have uh, Norman Stevens as an office worker, second of two Twilight Zone episodes. He was in The Trouble with Templeton. So I just, you know, if they've been back before, he's got to at least shout it out. And that's all I have for cast. Uh, uh, Paul doing his due diligence to make sure everybody gets a gets a voice in this episode. So cool. I'm glad that we got all those extra uh, notable notable character actors from other episodes. So um, yeah, I guess uh, outside of that, are you ready to dive into this episode? I guess yeah. Let's just certainly take it away. Um, just heads up, guys. When you hear the music behind his dialogue, you know what kind of episode you're in for. Submitted for your approval or at least your analysis. One Patrick Thomas McNulty, who at age 41 is the biggest bore on earth. He holds a 10-year record for the most meaningless words spewed out during a coffee break. And it's very likely that as of this moment, he would have gone through life in precisely this manner. A dull, argumentative big mouth who sets back the art of conversation a thousand years. I say he very likely would have, except for something that will soon happen to him. Something that will considerably alter his existence and ours. Now, you think about that now, because this is The Twilight Zone. When you get the funny music, the upbeat music, you know you're for a comedy episode. Ugh. Uh, so, so Terry, I just got, I just got to ask you, like, I... I I think since the the real the real meat of the story doesn't start until twelve minutes into this twenty four minute episode, like I don't know how deep you want to dig because uh, this one um, it, it reeked of like season four like over talking character work to me. No, I I completely agree with you on that, and I think that um, there was a lot of like comic comedic comedic beats that were happening in this episode, but they just kept on beating it to death and i just don't i don't know like i think we can just like talk about it in general um why don't you lead the way and well follow suit yeah so we got mcnulty uh mcnulty's a talker like we catch him in like what do you call that media res where he's uh already just like boring people in his office and like talking about diversification and blah 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 like he he just he needs people like in the vicinity he keeps talking and then um, and nobody's really given the time of day. Uh, the secretary says the boss wants to see you. And he's like, finally, I've been putting suggestions in this box for 11 months. And then, um, he goes and talks to the, the secretary and he tries to hit on her. The only thing I'll say about that is that th- she has one of my favorite, uh, dismisses, you know, dismissals of anybody I've ever heard that I, I want to incorporate in my own lexicon is when she just tells him so drift McNulty. I'm, I, I hope to remember to tell people just to drift. That's a really cool thing to say. Yeah. I've never heard that term in my life, but I, I thought that was pretty fun. I, she obviously has been combating this dude for a while. So she's got like, she's got his number 
And I actually enjoyed her character quite a bit in this episode. Yeah, and I, I've, I've got to mention the coffee cart that would come in with the donuts, and I was really, really hoping. I know Sterling wasn't on set for the filming, and they did the whip pan. At least they're at least they're doing the thing where they're matching the background now, as opposed to just to a gray backdrop. But I would have loved it if like he would have been his back to us the entire time, and then whenever the, like he goes into his dialogue, he turns around and realizes that he was like one like getting donuts and coffee from the cart. That would have been amazing to me. It would have made a hell of a lot more sense than, than the quick swipe that they did in this. Uh, I, I or, think there was a lot of room that he could have existed in in that office area. Yeah, or he'd just put out his uh, cigarette in the suggestion box or something. That would have been great, too. But um, <laughs> Yeah, and so also this is like one of the handful of episodes where he actually says submitted for your approval, uh, which that's one of those things. It's like, what do you call that? The Mandela effect where everybody thinks that's every Twilight Zone episode and that's not. And this is like one of four where he actually uses that dialogue. So I thought that's just, you know, worthy of pointing out. So, but I also like his, his uh, intro where he was like, you think about that. I'm like, Sterling, did you think about that? I don't think you did too yeah, hard. I, I, I hated after this episode, I hope to never hear that term ever again in my life. And I, <laughs> I, I've met dudes like this where like, I, you know, I, I work in a, I work in a facility where we have uh, deliveries and that. And I've met dudes that talk like this, like they talk to gab, like they have like the gift of gab, but really all you want to do is just plug your ears and get through like the moment and get the hell away from these guys as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Balti is a, a jerk. <laughs> it's, He's not likable. There's nothing redeeming about him. I know, like I, I know you and I have struggled um, with similar characters or at least like startings of stories where you know it's not it's it like we as the viewer should not assume that the main character that we're being shown in their journey for whatever it is that we're supposed to be on their side um that's not a guarantee right i get it but you got to give me something to latch onto, and there's nothing about this man that i can get behind at all there nothing not a single thing um he's always running a mile a minute just like, and he's also one of those guys too, that whenever someone brings up a point that like, it's supposed to kind of stop him cold, he just pivots and goes on to the next thing. Um, McNulty would exist very well in 2020. That's I'll say that, especially if, you know, if McNulty had access to like, you know, YouTube and making web videos, you know, he'd be, he'd be a guy doing that. Um, and then he'd be pitching his wonderful ideas like he did to the boss here. Uh, cause the boss calls him in and says, um, what, what was it? They, the, the business they make, um, uh, lady foundation garments, which I thought was a funny way of saying, you know, um, bra and panties or whatever. Right. Um, but some of his suggestions were make hot dogs flat so they can be put in hamburger buns, make tin cans square so they can be easily stacked into garbage cans, give soldiers small pontoons so they can just float across the water. It's like, um, these are all just idiotic ideas, but McNulty, he is, um, what, what's that? Um, quantity over quality that, that seems to be his go. Yeah, he he really doesn't understand that he has a place at his position and just do your job. He hasn't figured that out yet. And I wonder how many times that he's actually interacted with Mr. Cooper and seen what his demeanor actually is. Because the next moment that we uh like we get what really Cooper's been trying to get to, he has went through the 340 suggestions that McNulty has given him and he's just had enough. And he's like, dude, you're fired. Just get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. 
and he's not, you know, and that good on him, you know? Um, so yeah, McNulty's like tossed out on his ass. Uh, and then, um, he ends up going to the bar and this is, again, you talk about guys with a gift of gab. He is, he's doing the same thing in the bar and people are trying to watch baseball and he will just not shut up about whatever. And as one person leaves, he turns around, starts talking to other people and he just, and you talk about a gift. He has the gift for clearing out rooms, like absolutely completely. Um, and then, um, he was talking to the bartender and he's like, wouldn't you think I'd get noticed for doing all this? And there's another good line here where it says getting noticed and getting liked are two different things. And that's like one of the few times McNulty kind of shuts up for a second, you know, like he actually, you could tell that he's actually at the, like he, he might, he's at a crossroads where he might actually have to consider like changing his life. But that that's quickly removed because we get onto, um, the clumsiest way of ever introducing a, a MacGuffin into the twilight zone. Uh, introducing uh, pots, that is. Yeah, I mean the MacGuffin of you know um, the watch. Sorry. Uh, oh, oh yeah. okay. I, I've never heard that term. So. <laughs> oh. I, yeah. The, the, no, it's like the MacGuffin is like the item that moves, like moves the story forward. Like um, the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, that's like the MacGuffin, right? Like um, uh, the Maltese Falcon, you know, whatever. Like that's what you like. It's a term Hitchcock made up to describe like what's the thing that's going to be like the focus that's going to, like you know, move the plot. Okay. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh, everybody's cleared out of the, the bar at this point and, uh, Joe's pretty fed up with him. So whatever. And when McNulty, uh, turns around, he sees, uh, that there's like one last patron in the bar uh, sitting at a table and he goes over and starts, uh, chatting with that dude, figures out this is Mr. Potts. And, uh, he tries to spark up some kind of conversation with him, but you can tell that there really isn't anything between the two that has like, um, like, like real subject that they could deep, you know, have like yeah. a deep, meaningful conversation about. So, um, he buys him a beer, and um, at that point, uh, it, Mr. Potts is about to roll out, but he says, "You know what? I'm going to give you something." And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a, a stopwatch and gives it to him, and that's kind of where it starts to progress the rest of the story like you said yeah yeah and, uh, like i like the um uh so as uh pots leaves um mcnulty's still there and the bartenders like talk to him which at one point the pots calls the bartender a beer tender which i was like well i like that name too but anyway um like because also the bartender he also is kind of like a guy that keeps talking a mile a minute but he's also a business owner and he's done okay for himself so anyway I at least feel a little bit more sympathetic for him because McNulty keeps driving out his entire, like, you know, clientele. But, um, so then that's whenever, as he's talking to McNulty, McNulty's looking at the stopwatch and he clicks it just as, um, the bartender drops a glass and it breaks on the floor or start. It's like mid or mid crash or whatever. And then I, the one, the one positive I'll say about the episode is that the, the score changes like completely to this very distinct, like, you know, time-based beat, uh, I guess all beats are time-based, but you know what? It's, it sounds like a ticking clock a little bit. Whenever whenever time itself is stopped, I liked that music. I thought that worked. Um, but then this is like, at first, McNulty doesn't understand, uh, sees the bartender stopped, and then he undoes the, he undoes the watch. The bartender keeps talking. And like so that's like the first of... Um, I actually uh, counted. Uh, how many times do we see uh, the episode go to a still frame? whenever the, the watch is stopped 15 times in this episode. 
Yeah, I think that's a little over overdue, overdone. <laughs> rather. Uh, yes. So, and, and you know, yeah. here's, here's the the real good question then. So, how many times was there an actual motive to be uh, to use the watch? I would say <laughs> once. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So after you know, McNally is like. He sees what he did to the bartender. Um, you know, he, he's like, he's like, I'm drunk. I got to go home. And then we get it again. He goes to his little efficiency apartment. Uh, he feeds the fish. He stops it, stops the watch. The fish stop. He kind of looks at it, turns it back, turns the watch back on, goes to bed, wakes up in the morning, goes through that again. And that's when he looks out the window and holds the watch. And, and this is when we get like, um, this is when we get this moment of like, Hey, um, how many times can we, can we do this, th- the same thing? in a row over and over again. And it's supposed to be being played for comedy, but it, it doesn't do anything. No, I'm just, I'm super bored of it. I don't understand. Like, I mean, they're showing different landscapes too. So they're showing like a herd of ca- cattle running and then they stop and then they show a plane that's crashing into a house and that stops. And it's like, but it's McNulty. He's looking out his window is he is he pressing the button that many times or is it just snapshots of other areas when he presses that button and he just literally is just looking at the same street like the five or ten times or whatever how many times he does it wouldn't you get the point at, at that at that point like wouldn't you understand what the hell the power of the watch is and go do something with it yeah so um i'm gonna dip back into this book uh so if you want if you think you're bored now wait till i tell you this part this is amazing to me uh so they actually i uh, gave uh the what was it they gave the producer and serling uh like a uh, 42 possible um stock footages to use for still frames Listen to how exciting all of these are. I'm going to read these off to you. It's 42. So uh, if, you, if you're asleep at the end, I understand. Um, boat shooting rapids. Oil well gusher. An avalanche. A ski tow. Ski jumper after takeoff. Uh, diver leaving high platform. Rush hour in the subway. Uh, train around a curve. A golfer swinging. An elevator indicator. A football game. A building on fire. Atom bomb explosion. That would have been great. Freeway traffic. Calvary charge because you know that's what happened in 1963. Um, trampoline jumpers, Ferris wheel, salmon jumping, square dancing, a large stamp press, uh, building being wrecked, kids jumping rope, ballet dancer, automobile race, record at a jukebox, storm at sea, a uh, line of dancing girls, cattle stampede, falling tree, timber. I think those two were used. Um, beer drinker. Roller coaster, fire hose splashing, twist contest, boxing knockout, circus aerialist, sur- sorry, circus aerialist, volcano erupting, seaplane landing, newspapers printing off the press, monkey jumping from tree to tree, movie on TV screen with fast action, tornado spout traveling across the country. There you go. We could have had this 42 times. I just, I, I, even that list is just nauseating to think that they would have used any of that either. Like I just, I didn't understand why they had to just keep on yeah. doing it over. 
So, but whatever, you know, McNulty is, he's had a blast with it. So, uh, now he's got to show, show it off, show off the power that he somehow has been bestowed. Yeah. But that's what, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. This is 12. This is halfway into the episode and we find out what his, his first big plan is for the watch. And at that point I was like, you're kidding me. Like not even like a, Oh, this is going to be fun. It's like, wow. Like this is the the shortest small sided thing to, when you know, you can actively stop time. He, he makes like the, the smallest decision possible. Yeah. Well, uh, he goes to work and he thinks that somehow, some way that he's able to market this item. I cool. Ta-da. I, like <laughs> <laughs> he wants to mass I, I produce it. That's all he wants to make. He wants to show that he has an idea. It's like, no, like, yeah. Anyway, that is such a dumb shit idea too. Like it just shows how, like inept he is as a, a, like a brilliant mind or a possible brilliant mind have this kind of power. And in his, his first logical decision is, well, I'm going to give it to my boss and I'm going to make millions of dollars off of giving everybody else the power to stop the world. It just doesn't make any sense. Logically McNulty's an idiot. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's fair that that was the point of that for this person who believes he's an idea, man, and all his ideas are bad, that he would not have a good idea with this. So I'll give that conceit. It's still really annoying though. Yeah, most definitely. And it just makes me dislike the character that much more. It's just like, <laughs> dude, you have the power to be like Lex Luthor right now. You are like, a God. You are cool. a God now. Yeah. Do something like, cool. I want, yeah. I, I just want something like a comic book character moment, like, aha, you know, like be like the taskmaster or something like that. Like be something super sinister. And because you have this power and it's like, it just falls on its keys. <laughs> he falls on his keys hard. And he, of course gets told to get the hell out of the office and all that. Well, and, uh, so to, to make a point though, he does go in to try to, he, cause he sees his boss like talking to somebody. So he goes and stops time and puts like, you know, like the office plants on them and stuff and then walks out. The only like, so that he sees the coffee and donut carts there and he goes over and grabs the donut, takes a, like two bites and leaves it on top of like the big coffee percolator or whatever. And then leaves. And I, and I wrote in my notes like, you know, stop time, eat a donut without paying the perfect crime. <laughs> yeah it's just, it's literally like the start of him being a villain like <laughs> like it, this is where it all started petty crimes and then now world domination nobody <laughs> can do not stop no, i was like nobody can uh, i was gonna make a donut pun i couldn't do it donut stop me now whatever that's it <laughs> but uh, it's a, yeah he does that like he eats half a donut and leaves it on the cart and then um of course leaves the office and next stop, why not go back to the bar, you know? <laughs> yeah, but fine. Go to the bar. Try to show everybody that, like, you know, you got this thing, right? And so he, well, I should also, let me rewind time. First, we get to, when he gets to the office, I just want to mention that he does this info dump on the secretary and tells her everything that this happened. And it's like, we were just there five minutes ago with you. We don't need you to tell the secretary what happened, whatever. Anyway, then we get to the bar. He then goes in this whole big thing about how he changed the outcome of a baseball game, which you know what? I understand there's budgets with this. That would have been cool to see. Maybe, you know, I don't know, but no being the bar believes him. Yeah, go ahead. No, perhaps it would be, it would be interesting to see that. Um, and I understand restraints and all that stuff, but like what he did 
<laughs> doesn't make sense logically at all if you were to watch a baseball game. No. Not for an instant. <laughs> moving, a, moving a base 10 feet, one, like people would be like, that doesn't, no, that's not where the base was. Like, they, it would be like, I don't know, it would be weird, right? Um, so the other thing too is like whenever he tries to tell everybody at the bar, like, hey guys, let me show you what I'm going to do with this watch that can stop time itself is I'm going to walk over, muss up somebody's hair, take two drinks from people and drink them and then go back to where I was standing. You know, I'm a God. I'm a very useless God, you know, and yep. no one believes him. Yeah. Dishovel somebody's hair just a little bit and take sips out of a couple of drinks. Like there could have been, there's an opportunity here. Like, I don't know who really thought that that was just enough. Like, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna screw with this guy's hair a little bit. That will get it. That will make everybody understand. But it really, what the root of it is, and Rick McNulty is trying to make everybody notice, is that he thinks that everybody can see him doing these actions. Yeah. It's not a fact of, well, you know, their brains are, for the moment, turned off. He thinks that they can actually notice him doing these things as they're happening. Then he realizes that nobody can see shit when he's doing it. Like, it's just everything shut down. Everything is literally put on pause. And it's all for not like whatever he could have done. I mean, he could have lit the place on fire and no one would have noticed it and they would have died in there. You know, it's like they, they are completely out of control of their bodies and that. Yeah. So, um, so they all leave. And so I, I want to point out that there is a bit of dialogue here too, that, uh, I, I did like a double take when the bartender said it because it's happened to be something I, I, it's a reference I knew. So like, you know, the shocker, he said, you drive more guys out of saloons than carry nation. Uh, Terry, you may not know who carry a nation is. She was a big time, um, like, like prohibitionist. Like she would go into bars with like an ax, like, like a, like a handheld hatchet and go in and just like destroy, um, like, uh, private, like, um, you know, speakeasies and everything. She was such a teetotaler that she had like this, she was, she was a force to be reckoned with. And she, uh, fought she, because it was the law and she went in and, and busted up all these private saloons. It's an amazing story. Uh, my wife, Mary was telling me that, um, and I don't remember this, but when we were out in, in Vegas, the last time we went to the mob museum, evidently they have one of Carrier nation's, uh, axes there on display. Uh, so I thought that was funny that he's comparing him, comparing McNulty to a woman that, um, was an active force of destroying many bars in her day. That's fascinating. I've never heard about her. Uh, yeah, you uh, should look up her story. It's amazing. Carrie Nation. She was a badass. I mean, I don't agree with like you know where she was going with it, but she she had conviction. Yeah, and I guess that is a good analogy to 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 make towards McNulty because he literally does drive everybody out of their skull yeah. and out of the bar. So it, I don't so, know. Yeah, I don't know. Business. I was gonna say I don't know if Serling ever intended for a reference made from prohibition and a show in 63 to make a guy laugh in 2020. But I did like, that was one thing that was like, Holy shit. I get the reference. Like I just like, like it was that weird moment where a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, what'd that guy say? So that's more on me just being like, I knew a random thing, but yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to let you know. And if people didn't know, uh, if you've not seen the episode that when he says that he's there, there's a, there's actually a history there. And the joke is actually pretty funny. Yeah, that's cool. I yeah, I I guess it's just one of those things. Like when I watch uh, Golden Girls, some of the the jokes fall a little flat because I don't know who the hell they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
but yeah, so yeah, he drives everybody pretty much out of the bar again. And, but then he takes off and, uh, but he, uh, prior to him taking off, he says, um, that he's going to make it, he's going to make it big. He's going to make big money. He knows what his plan is now and that he's going to execute some grand plan now. So the next day he goes to, uh, the bank and at the bank, he walks in and uses the stopwatch and stops everybody in their tracks. And he goes into the vault and he brings out a cart filled with money. And of course he has to get a few more bucks. So he goes into the teller's uh, drawer, brings out some money from there, grabs a little bit extra money from a little, another place. And then of course goes over to a desk and grabs a cigar to be cocky. And as he is coming out of like this little uh swinging door yeah let me stop you like i'm gonna i'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit the stopwatch for a second let me stop you i, I just want to point out also if his idea was to rob a bank and then they wouldn't catch him finally that's the super villain moment right but he literally right. walks into the bank into the lobby and holds the stopwatch up and hold like there has to be some type of surveillance at that point right like would they notice the dude staying there with the watch and then he'd be there one second and then gone the next with all the money gone you know, you, you, you stop, you stop that watch in your apartment and you walk to that bank and then you do not unstop it until you get back into your apartment. That's just, that's just my thought. I guess, I guess if I, I guess I want to be a super villain, but whatever. No, that's, that's, that uh, makes a hell of a lot more sense than what he did. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, he doesn't deal in logic. So no, he does not. Again, <laughs> McNulty, McNulty uh, doesn't like for a guy who he, he believes he can think of everything. Didn't think of this either. So I guess it's supposed to speak to that as well. But yeah, sorry. Right. I'm going to unclick the stopwatch there. So finish, finish this, this wonderful story. So he ends up dropping the stopwatch and uh, it, it breaks. It, uh, it uh, he has broken the stopwatch. And he picks it up and he tries to press the button. Of course, the idiot is still in the in the bank when he presses the button. So if it did work, still, he's in the bank with all this money now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he he can't use it now. It's it doesn't seem to work at all. And uh, he's running around. He goes back to his work. He's trying to talk to people there. Uh, there's a nice little gag in it. He runs into his boss's office. He sees that uh, the secretary and uh, Mr. Cooper. Are, canoodling um that's actually it's actually kind of a funny bit just you know that's about you know for what it's worth i thought because he's like oh excuse me and he walks out of the office i thought that was okay yeah he's like oh, oh okay and then closes the door and uh no one of course is you know aware and the stopwatch is still not working and he coerced goes back to the bar again um and no one's no one's awake no one's uh coherent and he's now he's frantic he's trying so desperately to get somebody to pay attention to him. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that with the, the watch. I'll never do it again. And, you know, being all super apologetic to people that can't hear him, can't see him. And uh, that's pretty much the end of the episode at that point. Yeah. Cause I mean the, the inverse of that you guys, yeah, I think is that he, he's disappeared from time. Right. And granted, whatever he does going forward, um, you know, like whatever effect he has in that single instance, but like they're, they're moving forward, you know, like what I'm saying, like though he, though time has stopped for him, like he's just going to just, he's just going to vanish. Right. And he's going to be stuck in this world of, of like frozen forever and nothing can happen. And, um, and so it's done more, 
the ending's more implied like, oh, somebody that, you know, is a conversationalist and needs to talk to other people. Now you can't talk to anybody. It's like, yeah, that's true, but it's way darker than that. It's, 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 it's this ending is the ending to time enough at last whenever, um, uh, what's his name? Oh gosh, darn it. Burgess, uh, Meredith. Burgess Meredith. Like what's his name? What is wrong with me? Uh, you know, patriots say of the twilight zone when he drops his glasses and they break and there's no one else around and now he can't read and he has all the time in the world and nothing, and he, no way he can do anything with it. This is almost the same ending, but it, it's played for comedy and not absolute, you know, like just, this is the end. Um, and I was almost thinking that maybe the front half of this being kind of jokey in a comedy was going to actually be like, like a sneaky, like, Oh crap. We, we got you thinking this was a comedy episode, but this is actually like hell on earth. And it doesn't end that way. It just kind of ends with like, well, that's what he gets. Guess we're out of here later. Yeah. It is somewhat poetic of an, uh, of an ending. Uh, the fact that he tries so desperately to be noticed by people and like even the, the remote instances of people giving him shit or, or being rude to him. It's, he still feeds off of it in almost like a, a positive way. Now he has nothing, no reaction whatsoever. Not even people telling him to get out of his, out of their face. It's 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 almost driven him to a point where he's going to go mad. You don't see that instant yet, but him being as frantic as it is, yeah. it's like this dude really did thrive on it. He needed attention in some way or or another. That's fair. So yeah, that's that's your episode. Uh, uh, you know, like it's just it it could have been it could have been a cool idea and it is a cool idea because it's been revisited multiple times right like uh this there was even uh an episode of the 85 revival called a little piece of quiet that's kind of the same notion i vaguely remember this as a kid where it was like a mom realizing that she could stop time and i remember the last image of that is way more like oh shit this is going to be real bad like just and i, I don't want to give that away cuz if we ever get to it um, and then also the very last episode of Futurama actually kind of dealt with the same idea of time stopped. And it actually was kind of a nice, it was actually a pretty good, if, if it was the last episode of the series, it was actually a really good one to end it on because it ended up with a Fry and Leela being stuck with a, a present that wasn't moving forward. Um, but so, yeah, this is not something that there, it isn't that the bones in this aren't good. It's just, um, <laughs> everything else about it. It's just, it, you, it just feels, um, hastily put together and you don't have a character that you care about. Yeah, no. And I think that's kind of, it encapsulates the episode, uh, a little bit for a little bit better for me knowing everything prior to this instant of him basically not having anybody to talk to now. Like I actually, I, I like how the ending wrapped it up. Like it made it a better episode. If it, Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, if it, if it ended in a, a different way, I probably would have completely written this episode off com- after watching it. But uh, I will tell you one thing, though. The one the one scene that I would have changed slightly and made it an even darker episode is that when he goes over to the vault in the bank, I almost wish that he would have gotten locked into the uh, into the vault and broken the, <laughs> the stopwatch then or forgot yeah. the stopwatch on the counter outside and got locked in the vault. Yeah, that would have been that would have been interesting. You're right. That would have been. Whew. I would have been. I would have been fine with that. You know. And then he'd been like, "I'm stuck in here." He's like, "If only there was some kind of flat hot dog to put in, you know, to slide in here that I could eat." You know. Um, so, all right. Um, so I have 
a little bit of trivia from the episode, unless you have other notes, and then we can do this, and then we can get to the the twist. You know, um, do you have anything else? Anything else you wanted to mention? Oh, in your notes? No, I'm I'm good. Okay. Oh, I do want to mention that the last bar sequence, just as he's running out, one of the guys sitting at the table definitely blinked like big time, <laughs> which I thought was funny. It's like, oh, now he's stuck in this world of frozen time, except that dude that's blinking. All right, so, all right, blinking. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, Sterling completed the first draft of the script on June 10th, 63. Four days later, he revised it and sent it, uh, you know, sent the revision to the usual sponsor, like ad- advertising agency producer and to his, uh, his producer, uh, Burt Garnett, uh, who on June 25th, uh, wrote Serling regarding a few essential problems he had with the script. He wrote, um, this is a little bit of a disappointment around the stopwatch around about about stopwatch. I think this primarily stems from the fact that McNulty's character being an absolute bore gets off to a bad start and an unpleasant teaser. And then and here's the part that now that I say this, Terry, it's all going to snap together. And you're going to be like, Oh, this makes complete sense. Serling was about to uh, leave for a four week vacation. So his attempt to complete a number of scripts before the end of the month uh, was hampered by having to revise a number of pages on the spot. There you go. Oh, wow. So just, uh, a, a means of just trying to get it done as quickly as possible and not having a, like a, a great Rod, Rod Serling's kind of strip. Yeah. Do, do his foot off the door was going to be a month vacation. Yeah. And his, his producer's like, I don't like this guy. And, and, and Serling tried to, to do a little bit more with it, but yeah, he was going to go on vacation and it kind of shows. No, no, that sucks. I, and like, like we have already explained, like this could have been a really solid episode and it's not, it's really not a terrible episode, but it definitely could have been reworked a little bit more and we could have had like a really like standout episode for the twilight zone. Yeah, I think, I think the unlikable character mixed with, um, the lack of any real follow through. I mean, the, the story has a, B and C like, don't like, like a beginning, middle end. Like, I'm not saying that it's just that like, like the producer was right. You start off with this guy that you don't like. And it doesn't doesn't get any better. And you're right. Like, had this been approached a little differently, and maybe given a character that you cared for, the like we talked like you know um, Burgess Meredith and, and Time Enough at Last. He was he was an annoying guy, but you're on his side the entire time because the world kept annoying him. Or sorry, the kept the world kept beating him up because he wanted to read. You know, so um, you know you could have had a little bit more here that I think it would have um, fared better and aged better. Yeah, most definitely. I, yeah, this kind of just falls in the middle for me as a, you know, as an output from the, from Rod and, and the twilight zone. Well, at least yep, we did, at least this wasn't an hour long with like 5,800 times where the film stopped. Oh God, Please. <laughs> I would have just like turned it off and been like, it's a throwaway episode. Like, we got to oh, do it's it. a certain kind of stopwatch. This is also a certain kind. I'm turning this off right now. Um, I also want to mention too, that, the the, um, the, the, uh, punch ins where they'd show the, um, the, the hand holding the watch and starting it and stopping it. That wasn't, um, the main actor. They actually uh, shot pickups. Uh, and the person that held the watch was Robert McCord. So he actually had a pretty prominent role in this episode after all. Nice. Well, yeah. I'm glad that we got to see his hand. <laughs> <laughs> think that's the same hand that he was eating an apple with in person or persons unknown when his truck got stolen or whatever. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I got for this. Um, you know, as is, um, you know, what we do here on the show, we just got, we got to rate that twist. 
that the the stopwatch would stop working at an inconvenient time, I gave it a one. No, I, I, I agree with you on that. I'll give that a one as well. Um, I, I think the execution could have made it like even a little bit more like kick ass if we, they would have went with my ending, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. You should write them a letter right now. Dear 1963. I have some notes, you know, and we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe that'll be the genesis for like, you know, I'll look at my book next week and be like a young man wrote from the future. Like, oh, holy shit, it happened. No. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's, that's a, that's a, a kind of stopwatch. Uh, it was a, a kind of an episode. Um, so yeah. Um, before we tease the next one, uh, just, um, you know, so Terry, how can, like, I guess let me, let me do the Facebook stuff or the AG other stuff. That's what we're doing. I don't even know what's going on right now. My mind's a kind of a stopwatch right now. Um, you guys can find us on our Facebook page. It's a strange highways podcast. Uh, Terry's posted some, um, fun pictures from tales from the dark side of the movie up. You guys can look at that. You can email us directly at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. Um, and wherever you find your podcast rate and review us and, uh, and Terry, what other, what other things we got going on? Okay, so we are on Instagram these days as well. Uh, put up some stuff today for uh, some new fun pictures from the, our previous discussions and that. Uh, we are Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, so check us out on there. Uh, like our like our stuff. Come give us some likes. Uh, follow us on there. And then um, uh, we've we've mentioned it in the past, but um, it's it's pretty much new to us and how the algorithms uh, exist for it. But we are on Spotify as well. So if you guys uh. Use Spotify a little bit more often than your your normal podcasting apps. Uh, check us out on there. Follow us. Uh, maybe it will do some some kind of algorithm that will get it to more people. We're not sure about how that works yet. They'll be like, "Oh, do you like uh, podcasts about highways?" This is going to be like all about like uh, departments of transportation or things, right? And it's going to be like, "Oh, that's not dotted." Yeah, it's going to be O dot O dot all the time, you know. Um, you know, pod dot. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so next week, um, we're going to be having, uh, an, an, another episode of twilight zone with the, with the really big star. That's not that big. So let's Serling, uh, he's going to tease, um, the last night of a jockey. And now Mr. Serling next on twilight zone, a gentleman of myriad talents and a story written especially for him. Mr. Mickey Rooney appears in the last night of a jockey. He plays the role of a diminutive little man screaming for help in the bottom of a barrel. And the help he receives is unexpected and quite incredible. On the Twilight Zone, a cast of one, Mr. Mickey Rooney. I hope you'll be able to be with us. I wonder if cast and crew will be real hard to get into next week. Yeah, thanks for uh, tilting your hand there, uh, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So. Well, I, I've seen I've seen, I've seen this episode before. It's been forever, so I don't remember like the... like much about it but i do believe it's just mickey rooney by himself and but yeah we'll talk about more about that next week but yeah it's gonna be next week uh last night of the jockey it's gonna do it for us this week with a kind of stopwatch uh everybody have a good week have a safe week and um i guess uh don't eat flat hot dogs i don't know and don't piss off the bartender beer tender Be
time. A business has got to be diversified. I would just tell them, Fred, you cannot run a business by standing still in a rut. Just as variety is the spice of life, diversification is the key to success in business. Now, you think about that now. Well, I got uh, coffee with cream, cream and sugar, sugar by itself, cream by itself, and plain black. So I'm already diversified. Now, will you please get out of the way, McNulty? <laughs>